0: Well, you can, if you have your Bible with you, you can grab that Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I believe we put them back in the seats, so you can grab it there. Uh, We're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 25. I didn't check out what page number it was, uh, but Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. It'll be, yeah, most of the way to the back, because the Old Testament takes up much of the, much of Scripture. As you're searching there, I want you to think about have you ever tried to use, um, oh, nope, oh, sorry, not there. I have a video somewhere. Uh, have you ever tried to use the rules of something to your own advantage? And watch this yes. video. Uh, yes, but yes, did. that all changed for your beloved volunteer. That's a lot. stepped out of bounds. And then he was the first. He knew what he was doing to make a good play. He did know what he was doing. Watch Ty Montgomery. See how he deliberately gets out of bounds. Make sure he's out and then touches the football. He knew the rule. Out of bounds. He touches the ball. That makes it an out of bounds kick. They get the ball on the 40-yard line. Russell Hart is thinking the same thing. Look at this. Ball's dead. Dead ball. The ball actually hit Shoes' bat as Martin went to throw it back to the pitcher. Why is it dead? Why is it dead? That ball's alive. Well, Dale Scott signaled immediately. That ball's alive. Two examples. I'm sorry, Steve. He's a Blue Jays fan. The first one, using the rules to your advantage, the player stepped out of bounds and then touched the ball. That meant the kickoff, even though it was in bounds, was out of bounds. And so the team got the ball at like the 40 yard line instead of wherever you would have got it. The second one was a little harder to see. The pitch came, the catcher got it, and as the catcher was throwing it back to the pitcher, it glanced off the batter's bat, and it remains a live ball, and the person at third base ran in and scored a run in the process. And it took many minutes to figure out that that was a legal play. Both of these examples are not necessarily fresh. They're from like five years ago, I believe using the rules to your advantage. I didn't know any of those rules, but someone perhaps did. It's always good to have a rule expert around you. It's always good maybe to have a lawyer around you, someone that knows the ins and outs of all of those different things. And because there's, there's so many codes and things, It's always, it's good to have engineers around you and maybe electricians and plumbers because there's rules everywhere you turn your head. Rules about how you can install an outlet in your house. Rules about how you can drain something from your house. Rules about how much a ramp can slope when it's coming up to a stage. Rules about, well, how high the stage can be before you need like a barrier so someone doesn't fall off. So many different rules. Rules in games. We heard some of, these, some of these kids like games. They like video games and so on. There's rules with those games, how players can operate, what they can do. It's always important to have a rule expert close to you so you know what the rules look like. The story that we're, we're going to go to has a rule expert, an expert in the law where this expert in the law begins questioning Jesus to find out what the playing field looks like. What are the rules for neighboring? Who is my neighbor? What does it look like? How far away does someone have to be from me to be considered my neighbor? Is Casey my neighbor? He lives way on the other side of Princeton Estates, so far away. What does that look like? So let's look at this passage and see how Jesus responded. Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'll let you do that. You got it, Justin. (laughs) What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? That was what Jesus said. The expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus asked this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We begin the story with this expert in the law. A knowledgeable person. But this doesn't mean that this person was a lawyer. Uh, It doesn't mean that they were a lawyer. This person did not go to law school. This person did not go uh, pass the bar exam like Harvey and Steve have done. That's, That's not quite What's getting at the point here with this expert in the law? No, instead, this expert in the law is like a seminary graduate, like Hong. Hong, the expert in the law, he he studied the Scriptures intently. All of his life, looking at them, looking at, at the Old Testament law, the first five books, trying to glean every possible thing from them, to know them front and back, to be able to recite them without even looking at the words, memorization. And this seminary-trained professional, this expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus, to to question him, to perhaps pin Jesus in a corner, to to show show him how, how Jesus was unorthodox how jesus was flying out of bounds from what they understood people should do and so he says what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus often goes along with the questions that are asked and usually questions back and so he did see he went along with it well what what do you think you have to do to inherit Eternal life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the seminary trained expert in the law said. But then the man. The man wanted to justify his own actions. The expert in the law wanted to prove that he was right by asking Jesus now. Who is my neighbor? Oh, I don't want that. Just kidding. Because the man had a certain thing in his mind. He had a he had a certain idea of who was his neighbor. He knows that that he's from the lineage that was called out by God from Abraham. God God called one person to start a nation. And so all of these people that were Israelites are from one family. And surely that if I consider neighboring, it's got to be my own family. It's got to be all of the Israelites. Anyone else doesn't count as my neighbor because, well, God is the God of the Israelites. They're my people. Those are my neighbors. A writer and theologian, Frederick Buechner, Uh, wrote the following regarding what the expert in the law was likely hoping for in a definition. See if you can track with me here. It's, It's kind of a facetious description, I would maybe say. Henceforth, a neighbor, hereafter referred to as the party of the first part, shall be defined as meaning a person of Jewish descent whose legal residence is within a radius of no more than three statute miles from one's own's legal residence, unless there is another person of Jewish descent, hereafter referred to as the party of the second part, living closer to the party of the first part than oneself is, in which case the party of the second part is to be construed as the neighbor to the fir- party of the first part, and then oneself is relieved of all responsibility of any kind to the matters hereunto appertaining. Is that clear? Essentially, what Frederick Buchner says here is well, you know, Randy and Janine, they're my neighbors. You know, they're, they're from my family, they're from my lineage. They're not, but we'll say they are. Uh, but you know, if there's someone else that lives closer to them than I do, then I don't have to worry about them. Someone, there's, there's someone else's neighbor, and, and, and I don't need to help them. I don't need to do anything, right? Trying to create this legalistic almost definition of what neighboring looks like. Trying to come up with rules. Well, you know, is it the nine houses right by where I live? Are those my neighbors? Or is it just the people right next to me? Do I have to go like two houses down or three houses down to call them my neighbors? The legal expert wanted a strict definition to say, it's only the Israelites. Those are the only people that you have to worry about. But Jesus doesn't give the expert of the law, this seminary-trained individual, what he wants. He doesn't give him what he was hoping for. Because Jesus knows the God of Israel to be a little bit different. Because Jesus came to earth not to gather only the Israelites all together in a so-called holy huddle where they don't worry about anyone outside of their ethnicity, anyone outside of their family. no. Jesus came with a self-giving, self-sacrificial love that would be extended to all people, not just the Israelite people, not just one set of people, but the whole world would experience and receive the love that Jesus would bring. And Jesus is going to go to show on that the person who is a neighbor, is a person in need. He doesn't give the legal answer. He says this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's considered a fairly safe route to travel. When Jesus would go from, say, Galilee to Jerusalem, he wouldn't beeline it straight there. He would often go down to Jericho first, going along the Jordan River Valley, which was considered safer, and then going from Jericho to Jerusalem, a more traveled route. But it didn't mean it was a route that was completely safe. Because there could be places for people to hide out and to watch and to desire to hurt, to to attack, to, to rob someone else. They could camp out in the little hills and valleys that are in that area, just waiting for the right person. And an individual walking by himself from Jerusalem and Jericho would probably be a good target. He'd be as good a target as anybody, right? No one's there to come to his defense. There's no group of people that would ward off anyone. There's no witnesses to see what would be happening no one to point to whatever injustice is happening. So the people wait and they strike, leaving him half dead. And then what happens? The priest. The priest comes by and walks by on the other side of the road. The Levite walks by on the other side of the road, perhaps not even giving the man a second glance. You see, they knew the rules. And and the rules from the Torah says that people who are in the temple in service to God cannot touch things that are possibly dead. So why would they give this corpse lying on the road a second look? Because, well, they value God's rules. They value God. They value their personal piety. They want to do what God wants them to do, and so they're not going to risk potentially touching something dead and becoming unclean. So they pass by. Their value of Scripture is too high for them to help a half-dead person. You could say. But then... The Samaritan comes by. The Samaritan comes in and and bandages the man, pours oil and wine on him, puts him up on his own donkey and, and pays someone else to watch him and care for him and say, I'll take care of anything beyond this two denarii that I gave you. Just make sure this man's health is restored. If you're not familiar with who the Samaritans are, the Samaritans and the Israelites don't really have a very good relationship. The Israelites think that the Samaritans are like half-breeds. They're not fully Israelite, even though somehow they have some Israelite blood. Tragically, I think N.T. Wright says you can see the disagreement and the discord between the Israelites and the Samaritans almost to this day when you think about the Israelites and the Palestinians. Tensions so difficult that continue even to today. And here we have a Samaritan willing to help another man, but the, the people of God, the Israelites, the priests, and the Levites, wouldn't. The expert in the law came with a question of rules, who's my neighbor, and Jesus just decides to change the question. Instead of, who is my neighbor, Jesus really tells a story saying, who was the neighbor? Are you neighborly? Not who is my neighbor, but are you neighborly? The man wanted to know who's counted as the neighbor, but Jesus just wants you to be a neighbor. That's what lies at the heart of this meeting between the, the, the Jewish expert of the law, this seminary-trained graduate in Jesus. What are the rules for entering the kingdom, and and how is it that we live? N.T. Wright says this, and I'll put it on the screen. What is at stake then and now is the question of whether we will use the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security and purity, or whether we will see it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and that grace to the whole world. He continues, No church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road. Jesus calls the law expert to go and do likewise, to be a neighbor to the people in need that he meets. God has this abundant amount of grace for the whole world, which includes all the people who are isolated and alone, those with different political views from our own, those with upbringings that look differently. God has an abundance of grace for us to be neighbors who advocate and care for others. As God's Spirit works within us to make us neighborly, our heart becomes so full with God's grace, His mercy, and his peace, and his compassion, and his love, that we cannot help but love and care for others. He empowers us that we no longer are going to ask, who is my neighbor? Do they count? Instead, the question gets changed, and we say, who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I love? Who can I show God's compassion upon? Who can I show that self-giving, self-sacrificial love that Jesus himself showed us? When we think of self-sacrifice and self-giving love, sometimes people equate that to be money well, you know, I give this amount of money to that organization or this organization or so on. But I don't think that's always the solution. Instead, being neighborly in this slow-coming kingdom of God comes by building trust sometimes, developing conversations, hearing stories, listening to people, welcoming them. Perhaps reading and gleaning from books helps us understand neighboring better. Reading and gleaning from commentaries and resources from people in different cultures than our own. Helping us to understand what different cultures experience. Helping us understand what they understand helping us to be a better neighbor. We build trust by listening, by seeking understanding, by having empathy for, and empathy is is not feeling sorry for. That's totally not it. It's being able to understand and share in the feelings of those you're trying to experience. So, So you You hear their story and you try to share and understand and experience the same feeling that they themselves are feeling in that moment. Empathy is what it means when Jesus calls us to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice when others rejoice, but to weep and mourn when others are weeping and mourning. Neighbors... When we're neighbors, we build trust through understanding their circumstances, understanding and empathizing with the difficulties that they've gone through, the hurt that they've experienced. Sometimes we're a neighbor when we have to repent of things too. Repenting of assumptions that we've developed that somehow in our minds makes people the victim, the victim of people somehow the problem where we take people who have experienced horrendous things, who are the victim of atrocities and somehow saying, well, if they wouldn't have done that, they wouldn't have had the problem. Being neighborly. Being neighborly, perhaps, is recognizing that no amount of blood, sweat, or tears, or hard work guarantees an easy life. No amount of hard work guarantees that you won't experience trouble and heartache and difficulty. We're neighbors when we exercise compassion in those situations. Seeing each other as image bearers of God. God's image directly reflected back to us in each individual person on the face of this earth. No matter if their skin color looks like ours, if it's lighter, if it's darker, if their eyes are shaped differently, their hair curls somewhat tightly, or their hair is straight, blonde, or black, or brown, doesn't matter. Image bearer of God, and we see God in them. When we think about Neighboring, I think we can use this, this definition from Neil Plantinga about compassion. He defines compassion as a genuine distress over another person's suffering accompanied by a firm desire to relieve that suffering and then to actually re- relieve it if possible. Compassion involves a gut level emotional response to another's hurt, followed by a desire to receive, relieve that hurt if you can. Neighborly, compassion moves beyond thoughts and prayers. It moves beyond thoughts into, into action. Neighborly, compassion, moves beyond any well-thought and timely sign we put on our yard or in our church parking lot. Neighborly compassion moves beyond Facebook profile picture frames and into the area where we actually are actively fighting for, caring for, and defending our neighbors. Neighbors if we recall back to earlier in the service, I know I've been talking for a while, but when we talked about who the deacons are, the deacons are those who promote justice and equity. That's supposed to be reflected in our church body as they lead us and as we follow bringing compassion to others. It's my prayer that, that our deacons would continue to push us in the mandate that they have been called to do, but also that we would receive that just as we vowed to do a few moments ago by saying we will accept the guidance of our deacons and our elders as they push us along to live for God, to love our neighbors, and to lead people to Christ by showing neighborly compassion to people who are in need. That we would ask the question today, Not, are they my neighbor, are they my responsibility, but instead, how am I being a neighbor to the people God has called me to? Because here's the thing, when we were lying half dead in the road, when we were lying Half dead in the road. Maybe you weren't lying half dead in the road, but spiritually we have been lying half dead in the road. Sin encompassing our life. Jesus didn't just walk by on the other side and say, well, that's a Gentile. That guy's Dutch. That guy's whatever. No, instead, Jesus had a self-giving, sacrificial love that went to the cross for every half-dead person stuck in the mire of sin. That, That he would move into the neighborhoods of our hearts and our lives, being a neighbor, sacrificing of himself that we would be restored to God, that we would experience a different plight in life. That we wouldn't only be destined for sin all the time, but that we would be able to receive Him as these kids have done. And that we would be able to be empowered by this Spirit, and that we would be able to be obedient to God in our life by that Spirit. He didn't leave us half dead. He rose us to that new life by being our neighbor, by moving into our neighborhoods both spiritually and physically, rejuvenating our spiritual life, guaranteeing our physical renewal with his coming kingdom, and then asking us to do the same as he asked this guy, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise, being neighbors, being bearers of his self-sacrificial, self-giving love that costs something of us so that others may experience love and compassion and grace. Go. Go and do likewise as we leave these doors. Go and do likewise, not asking who is my neighbor, but how can I be neighborly. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you didn't walk by us, half dead, lying in sin. But instead, that you went to the cross on our behalf. That you would would go to the lengths to raise us to new life. And so we pray by your spirit that you would empower us to do the same, to not walk by those lying on the road half-dead, but instead reaching down, kneeling down, lifting them up, changing their plight by your slow-coming kingdom of selfless, sacrificial love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.